To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There were a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And I'm Roger Hearing. A very good afternoon. MPs are today debating the Prime Minister's controversial new Brexit plan or Brexit law. If approved, as we know from the government itself, it will break international law. Now, the Internal Markets Bill is going to change the withdrawal agreement signed by the UK and the EU. It addresses the part of the deal which is designed to stop a hard border returning to Ireland. But the Justice Secretary, Robert Buckland, says the legislation is simply an insurance policy. What we are doing is in accordance with, I think, actually the most honourable traditions, alert everyone to the possibility of a problem, prepare ourselves domestically for that, but to make the point that we're not at that stage yet, and we don't have to be. The Justice Secretary Robert Buckland there, that comes as two former Prime Ministers, Tony Blair and Sir John Major, writing an article in the Sunday Times calling for the bid to be scrapped. I think that makes all five living Prime Ministers now speaking out against this bill. And the former Attorney General Geoffrey Cox last night drawing a growing Conservative rebellion over it. That was quite a weighty intervention we saw. Uh, He said that Boris Johnson is doing unconscionable damage to Britain's international reputation. And then Sir Bob Neill, the Conservative MP for Bromley in Chislehurst and chair of the Commons Justice Committee, is one of the rebels. He's tabled an amendment to the bill to give MPs a final say on the controversial, on, on the controversial clause. It's essentially a veto. This is what he told us. The idea that the British government should willingly and deliberately break international law, resolve from international obligations that we have entered into, isn't one that sits comfortably at all for us. So I'm hoping that this will offer them a way out. So it's only used if it's demonstrably absolutely necessary, effectively if talks have collapsed, uh, and uh, then on a specific vote in, in, in Parliament where the government has to come and explain precisely why this is the only route available to us to protect the position of Northern Ireland and uh, make its case and state its reasons. That was Sir Bob Neill, Conservative MP for Romney and Chislehurst, speaking to us earlier today. Well, another party, of course, backing moves to amend or drop the controversial legislation is the Liberal Democrats. And I'm very pleased to say that joining us now down the line is their Brexit spokesperson, Christine Jardine, who's lived MMP for Edinburgh West. Christine, thanks for being with us. Um, I suppose we, we take it as read, obviously, that you are opposed to this change. But do you think there's any chance now with the Conservative rebels, of course, the SNP, yourselves, Labour, that this can, in fact, be blocked? I think, actually, it, it, the thing is, it has to be blocked. It has to be amended. It ha- the government has to realise that what they're doing is, in the words of the former Attorney General, unconscionable. 
Uh, there are major problems with the bill to do with Scotland and Northern Ireland and Wales as well. But um, the main issue that everybody is worried about at the moment is this threat, um, which would override the the terms of the withdrawal agreement and place the country in an unacceptable position on the world stage of having gone back, having gone back on a treaty and broken international law in a way that put, would put us in a dreadful position with um, you know, how do we criticise China, Iran, North Korea, anybody, you know, for breaking international law if we are going to do it. But there are, as I say, other significant problems with this bill um, for the internal market. And it could, I mean, what the Conservatives are doing just almost beggars belief. So Bob Neil's amendment then to offer Parliament a veto before international law is broken, does that go far enough? Is that watertight as a, as a solution? I think we, w- we will be supporting it. And I think um, in the first instance, yes, we do need to look at it, but we do need to go further. We need to look for something stronger. And we need somehow to get the government to roll back from this position. And if it is, as some people suspect, some sort of, bravado negotiating stance with the European Union, that is also unforgivable because it will and has already damaged um, our reputation. Um, and that that is unacceptable. But yes, we will be supporting Bob Neil. You know, everybody needs to support Bob Neil and we need to see this, however, as a first step to getting something stronger to prevent the government um, going ahead with this. So, so to be absolutely clear on, on all this, uh, obviously, as you say, you'll be back in the amendment. If the other things that you don't like about the uh, internal markets bill could be fixed, is it in its substance a bill that you could see yourselves, and I think Labour have suggested they might, giving their backing to this? There are so many problems with this um, internal market bill. If you look at it from the point of view of um, Scotland, um, the the devolution settlement needs to be respected and the, the Scottish Government and the Welsh Government and the administration of Northern Ireland all need to be consulted and there is one major thing that we need added at minimum actually is a dispute resolution mechanism for when there are um, disputes between the devolved authorities there's a lack of agreement you can just see, well, the UK government will go ahead with it anyway. That doesn't respect the devolution settlement. You need some sort of mechanism, and we would want to see that. However, these powers, these, this internet, the internal market framework is um, sort of coming to, to uh, the UK again from Europe. And we do need to have a framework to protect um, the sort of um, internal market in the UK and ensure that it continues to work in the way that it always has done and did under the European Union, um, so where you have the same conditions in, you know, Dundee as in Doncaster, and the same um, products um, have to meet the same standards in, in Dundee and Derby. You know, it's, it, we do need something, but this bill in itself is hugely flawed. Right. So, so you accept then the fundamental argument from the likes of Robert Buckland we mentioned at the top of the show that this is some sort of insurance policy in case we see the no. EU trying to some degree to separate no. Northern Ireland. No, no, you don't. I don't. No, I don't. I don't accept that um, the government. If you if you go right back to the beginning, the government, this government, Boris Johnson is the person who argued 
for the deal that we have with the European Union over Northern Ireland. The original deal which Theresa May negotiated had a backstop in it. Now, this deal, which they are now saying is unacceptable and is dangerous for Northern Ireland, those of us on the opposition benches said this, to, who were in the previous parliament, said this two years ago. We said this right up till the general election. We said this right up until the, the withdrawal agreement was passed. And the government not only ignored it, they said we were talking nonsense. And now they're the ones threatening to break international law because of it. What we need is to focus on the fact that we are hurtling towards December the 31st and our government has no agreement in place with the European Union and apparently no plan. Um, Our hauliers have said they're concerned about what happens. Other um, industrial sectors have said they're concerned. That's what we need to be focusing on. We need to be focusing on getting a deal and having a contingency plan for what happens on the 1st of January. But That's what we should be doing. And the, the government in this is just wasting yet more time. But, yeah, but Christy, I mean, there is a central problem, I mean, which is to do with Ireland, inevitably. It's the old problem. Which the government which created. Yeah, but, it, but, but the problem's there, whoever created it. So how now do you, do you go with it? Do you, do you move towards something that establishes effectively a border in the Irish Sea? Or do you have a border on the island of Ireland? Or do you go to the double process which was in the agreement, which now seems to be being threatened by Michel Barnier, apart from anywhere else? Do you see the, the frustration that those of us on the opposition benches have, though? Those of us who said that this was a problem. Everybody who said, right back on the 24th of um, June uh, 2016, the Northern Ireland Agreement, and sorry, the Good Friday Agreement, is in danger because of this and you have to be careful about it and who said precisely what you've just said about you know if you leave the european union there has to be a border somewhere um and you have to deal with that that here we are in september of 2020 we've left the european union the transition agreement ends at the end of december and that issue has not been dealt with by this government they are letting the people of northern ireland down Everything that they are now saying is wrong with the withdrawal agreement is everything that they were told before they made it. That is the frustration that we had. That this withdrawal, the internal market um, is a bad solution to a problem that we should never have had. And that this is fairly and squarely at, you know, at the feet of Boris Johnson's government. They created this problem and now they're creating a bigger one. Um, and it's not acceptable. We need something. We need um, Bob Neill's amendment in the initial phase, but we need something stronger that really deals with this major problem of Northern Ireland. And as a Scot and someone who dearly wants to protect the United Kingdom, yeah. this government is going all the wrong way about that. So, so very briefly then, uh, you, you say it's a major problem with Northern Ireland and it would be hard to dispute that. What is the solution then? It seems that nobody really has come up with something acceptable. Well, the government told us they had. This is the thing. The government told us that they had a solution when they, when they accepted the withdrawal agreement. And now they're telling us it's not. But what would you propose? Well, you know what I would have proposed? I would have proposed not having the problem in the first place. Um, and, you know staying within the single market and the customs union because then you, you you don't have the you don't have that problem you don't have the problem of northern ireland 
obviously within the single market and the Custom Union. Um, but we, you know, this government hasn't negotiated that for us. This government has um, taken the, you know, if you like, yeah. the, the worst case scenario and gone for it. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with your latest coronavirus regulation change, the so-called rule of six coming into force today. So in England, no more than six people can meet indoors or outdoors. Similar rules also apply in Scotland and Wales, slightly different. No one said it was going to be easy. Cases continue to rise, of course. New infections in the UK have been above 3,000 for the last three days. These are levels we haven't seen since early May. And today's Telegraph, interestingly, quoting ministers who say that a national curfew is an obvious next step if these new regulations don't flatten the current spike. So watch out. There is more ammunition, apparently, in the government tanks to battle this crisis. That's more interesting terminology for it. I think rule of six sounds like something out of a Sherlock Holmes story. But yeah. job losses are the big focus, of course, now, because news analysis has found, or new analysis, actually, have found the UK is going to see more than twice as many uh, job losses in the coming months as in the recession that followed... The Great Financial Crisis, the Institute for Employment Studies has brought out a report and they say around 450,000 roles look set to be terminated in the autumn. Now that was based on notifications to the government's insolvency service because employers are legally required to file if they plan to cut at least 20 positions. Now it comes as the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is facing growing calls from industry groups and fellow MPs to extend the government's furlough programme because there are fears that a wave of job cuts once it's wound down at the end of the month will be a truly devastating blow for the national economy. Yeah, the clock very much ticking on that one. And then we have a bit of news out of the Lib Dems. They've got a new deputy leader, Daisy Cooper, was unanimously elected despite only having been an MP since December. Remember, she was one of those who was rumoured to be running for the leadership. In the end, she didn't do that. Uh, she's now clinched the deputy position. She's promised to help build a party that can win. Uh, she says she wants to build a winning campaign machine that can woo soft conservatives. So sort of appealing to the right of the party to try and get over some Tory seats at the next election. Set Separately, the party had a bit of a mire at the weekend. They've suspended one of their prospective London mayoral candidates, a spokesperson saying that Gita Sidorob is not going to be in the running after it was revealed that she made a series of anti-Semitic comments during the 1997 election campaign. So a bit of a gaffe there for the Lib Dems. It does seem to be something that uh, gets into all parties in one form or another and uh, causes immense problems. Right, in the midst of all the arguments that we've heard about uh, earlier in the programme about the government's plans to change the withdrawal agreement, where does it leave British companies who need to trade with the rest of the world, or Britain's trade more generally? We're joined by Chris Southworth, who's Secretary-General at the UK's International Chambers of Commerce. Chris, thanks for being with us. Um, well, let's start. I mean, the, 
The end of the Brexit talks is fast approaching, whatever goes on in Parliament. What hopes do you have of deals for the UK outside the EU that could actually help UK trade coming at the end of all this? Well, we've just recently had the Japanese deal, haven't we, uh, that's been agreed. I think that's um, a you know, major breakthrough and something we should all welcome. And, and in particular, the reference uh, to the free flow of data uh, and digital trade uh, is really critically important, uh, and financial services too. You know, what we need really in these deals is modern trade corridors uh, of the likes that Singapore is, is pushing out. Uh, and, of course, that will create modern trade routes um, that are, you know, um, of maximum benefit to particularly the services economy in the UK, but more broadly too. Uh, but, you know, we really need more deals, don't we? We've had the, the Swiss deal, which was um, materially different to the, the arrangements that we had with Switzerland through the EU, um, but it was a deal all the same. But this is the first sort of proper deal. And, and most of the rest are all just rollover continuity deals and will have to be negotiated at some stage. So we just haven't had the sort of delivery that we were all promised. Uh, and there's a lot of work to do. And of course, everyone is still watching the EU arrangements because you know many of our foreign investors, foreign companies are trading through Britain into Europe. So um, that border is is critical, uh, particularly to uh, integrated supply chains and global value chains more broadly. But you say we need deals, Chris, but surely it comes down to the the numbers, which I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. We've had Switzerland, we've had Japan, both of those not a huge part of uh, a boost to UK GDP. The US seems to be a, a critical one. Um, I, I suppose a two part question here. One is how much can that uh, stem any loss we get from the EU? And I would also ask you about the, the state of it now that we've had Speaker Pelosi saying that it may not go ahead, it may not get backing if the government throws the Good Friday Agreement in doubt. Well, yeah, I think it's two things there. I mean, the U.S. deal is is pretty much in the long grass until after the U.S. elections. They run out of out, out of track really uh, to get anything significant negotiated before then. Uh, and of course, don't forget, in the U.S., it takes quite a long time for the new administration, if there is one, uh, to get up and running and into place. So that that means there's going to be quite a long lag. And so, in other words, it won't replicate the gap or fill the gap in the short term. Um, from whatever happens with the EU. And then the EU deal itself uh, looks thin at best and, and quite likely, um, or increasingly likely, I should say, of getting no deal whatsoever. So, you know, there's, there's a huge gap to fill from that EU trade, the trade arrangement. And the US uh, deal is not looking like it's going to come in in the short term. And, and there are risks. The, the internal markets bill has been flagged, as you say, um, as, a, as a, a specific risk to the bill. But the government's also removed all the sort of non-business stakeholders from its advisory groups uh, on, on these trade negotiations. And in the U.S. context, that's really important because what it does now is increase the risk of the, uh, the situation we had with the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership, uh, where that deal just went straight down the toilet after five to seven years of negotiation because... The, the wider sort of NGO community, civil society, uh, groups, consumers just didn't agree with the deal uh, and they sunk the deal within weeks. So um, removing these uh, representative voices from the advisory groups on the negotiations, it really leaves them no choice now but a guaranteed media fight. And, and that's going to really raise the, the one, raise the heat on the, on the negotiations 
that it'd be very, very divisive and, and run the risk of uh, the same same happening again, which is a real shame. Yeah, Chris, I mean, this must be in the minds of your your members, people you talk to a lot. But what are they actually t- saying to I me? Mean, give us a sense of what the conversations you're having are like right now about the prospects for the future, given everything you've said. Well, I think, you know, the business community, actually the business community and the wider stakeholder community are amazingly unified you know what everybody is telling me unanimously is that we want to build back better uh, we do want a greener more sustainable more inclusive economy uh, but we can't do that on our own as the business community we need to be working alongside consumers civil society workers and governments to make sure that those deals that we do actually work for everybody uh, and everybody feels the benefits we all recognize that we have failed to do that in the past and and we mustn't replicate that situation going forward we've got to do things differently um but so there's, there's a real frustration actually and it's not in the interest of business don't forget to, to sit at the table and negotiate go through the pains of negotiating a deal over many years for that deal then to fall over at the end for no other reason that that other voices haven't been heard in the process and then come in and uh, understandably feel frustrated that they're they're not getting what they want you know you know the way to do deals now is is in a much more inclusive format we have to do that we have to recognize that and respect it uh, otherwise we're not going to get to that um end goal that we all want to see which is a uh, a better place to live where the trade you know the benefits of trade are more evenly distributed and, and tackling the inequalities that we can clearly see in front of us and and how does the desire to build back better to use the slogan sit alongside britain's post-brexit future are members optimistic that those two things can align in a positive way well i think that's a really good question uh, and that's definitely on the minds i think of everybody there, there's just so many inconsistencies aren't there at the moment um i mean just as i've described the sort of trade governance uh, doesn't really correlate with uh, building back better uh, and making trade work for everyone um, but the, the sort of the narrative is still there from government. We've also got more broadly, there's a, a really good report from the uh, APPG on, on the Sustainable Development Goals uh, saying the same thing, that you know the, the Sustainable Development Goals are a, a roadmap to recovery, but at the moment they're completely out of, out of visibility and, and, um, and, and sight on the government's strategy to build back better, when actually they provide a really good framework that, all governments are signed up to. So there's a real missed opportunity there to better integrate the obligations that we have committed to uh, in the UN framework and and really make this work. Um, At the moment, it's all a bit messy and a bit fragmented, and and that makes it very difficult to understand what's going on and where the benefits will actually go. Well, because, Chris, I mean, it's good to talk about the benefits to environments and society coming out of this, but a lot of it is obviously the bottom line for many of your uh, members. And uh, they're going to look at possibly WTO rules going forward. I mean, the government's been quite sanguine about this, but your members, I guess, must be pretty concerned about dealing in that situation. Yeah, particularly those working with um, global value chains where tariffs are really important. Um, yeah, we've made our views very clear on that. You know, that WTO rules, there is no, no G7 or major global economy operating on WTO rules. Uh, it's completely unheard of. Um, so it, it really would not be good. And all it, all it does is just make the hit harder um, from leaving Europe. And it's, you know, is that really necessary? I don't think anybody feels it is. Um, you know, the, the, the EU deal 
really does need to get done. Uh, even if it's a thin deal, it's better than no deal. Um, anything is better than no deal. We said that right at the beginning. Um, so it's quite extraordinary, really, four years later, to be still now considering uh, a you know, no-deal situation. We really shouldn't be in this position, uh, particularly in the current climate with COVID. You know, we need to use every single channel and, and vehicle that we possibly can to get the best possible trading trading arrangements because trade is clearly a fundamental part of how we're going to recover. We need to be trading around the world on the best terms possible. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.